0: Today's scripture comes from uh, John chapter 13, Um, that's actually verses 1 through 16, Um, and we'll be reading that in the ESV this morning, so again, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, and we'll give you a moment to uh, find that uh, in the ESV, uh, or whatever Bible you have, I'll I'll just happen to be reading in the ESV, Uh, but if you have a Bible or Bible app, feel free to read along. Uh, We'll also project it up here. So again, it's John chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, I wanted to introduce to you our uh, guest preacher this morning, who is Young Lee. He is our pastoral intern this year, and we are so grateful uh, that that he's going to be sharing this word with us. So, why don't we? uh, You can do this from your own homes or for the people here. (laughs) Let's give him a, a big hand of welcome. Woo yeah. Ow, ow.
1: Everyone? Alright, thank you. Yeah, before I get started, um, I just wanted to pray again. So if we could bow our heads in prayer one more time. Uh Dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I just thank you for. Uh, your faithfulness in guiding me through this preparation process for this sermon today. Lord, as I stand before your congregation today to um, preach your word, Father, um, Lord, use me um, as an imperfect vessel to be able to challenge, um, encourage, convict your body, Lord. And I pray that um, this word today may find fertile soil in the hearts of those um, listening in today. And even for those not listening, Father, um, And we thank you so much, and in your name we pray. Amen. So once again, good morning and happy Sunday, everyone. Um, I know the past few weeks, Pastor Steve has been guiding us and leading us into a word on the message of the kingdom of God. And today, I want to talk about a practical way in which we live as citizens of that kingdom of God. Um, Before I got started, I want to just share a quick personal example here. And again, today's message is called Freedom to Love. And we're continuing on in the Firm Foundation series. So when I was younger, I am 100% certain that my father wanted me to go to Harvard. And the reason I know this is because if you go to the bookshelves in my house, you will see uh, three examples of books uh, represented there with riveting titles ranging from Top of the Class how Asian parents raise high achievers, and how you can too. Children are 99% completed by a mother's effort. That's the one there in Korean. And School of Dreams, making the top grade at a top American high school. Um, speaking of books, my dad, when I was in elementary school, even bought me the entire Barnes & Noble classic set, You know, ranging from titles from Moby Dick to um, thousand, 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea. To Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, however, I know that my father was not alone in this feeling. Recently, I watched a Netflix documentary called Operation Varsity Blue. And for those of you who don't know what this documentary is about, it was detailing the events of the 2019 college admission scandal. Uh, for those of you who don't know what happened, parents of some of the wealthiest families in America basically bribed their way for, chil- for their children excuse me, to enter um, into elite institutions all across America. And at the center of it, and it's that man in the picture there representing the middle, was Rick Singer, who was a private admissions consultant who basically created these fake athletic profiles to um, bribe uh, their children's way into these schools and acted as the mediator of it all. And it begs the question, just how far are we willing to go in the name of prestige and acclaim? In the case of the college admission scandal, I mean, it appears quite a lot. I mean, many of these families are actually convicted of felonies and white-collar crimes. But can we really blame them? For those of you who didn't know, a lot of the top institutions in America, the way they're ranked is based off primarily exclusivity. Right So you see institutions such as Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, Yale. Um, and the way that they're ranked so highly is because of their really low acceptance rates. And you know, part of me wonders, would there be such an irate reaction, reaction excuse me, from families all across America if the children of these families had? you know, bribe their way into schools such as, I don't know, Emporia State University in Kansas. Um, but I feel like the documentary does a pretty masterful job at challenging us to question whether we may all be complicit in this as well. I mean, the docu- in the documentary, it talks about how the word pre- excuse me, prestige very literally means in French, deceit. Even if we wouldn't commit felonies in the name of a claim, have we, in some ways, all bought into this system of achievement and prestige that's solely based off exclusivity? To share another personal example, during my sophomore year of college at University of Michigan, I wanted to apply for the business minor at the Ross School of Business. And on a surface level, I'm sure I could have given you some, you know, rubbish reason about how businesses can help um, be the backbone of America, and empower the world. But really, on a deeper level, it was just about me trying to get that name on my resume and another way to prove my competence and build my self-worth. And I'm wondering, can can anyone else here today relate to that message? Maybe there are some of you who are struggling beneath the heavy weight that others have placed on you. Or perhaps you put those expectations on your very self. Is it that pressure to attend that brand name institution? Or for those in the working uh, force, is it about trying to work for a Fortune 500 company? Or about getting into a grad school, potentially? And if you're already working, maybe it's about reaching that next level of success and climbing that corporate ladder. Or finally, for you know maybe from some stay-at-home parents, like my own parents, that struggle You is desiring to send your kids to these elite institutions, perhaps to to showcase how good of a parent you might be. No matter where you are in life, I believe all of us can hopefully relate to the difficulty and the desire of trying to achieve. I want to encourage you today uh, with the words of Christ and say that you are not alone. And to do this, we're going to travel and imagine ourselves back almost 2,000 years ago, in the setting of the Last Supper. Now, it is at this Last Supper and the Feast of the Passover that we see Jesus and his disciples excuse me, here today. Jesus knows that he's going to die, and in his final hours, he's just trying to impart some final words of wisdom and lessons to his congregation, or his disciples reminder that these are the group of men who had followed Jesus through the thick and thin of his years of public ministry. They had seen him perform miracles. I mean, even just a week prior, they had seen the people worship him and exalt him on Palm Sunday. And he has just a few final moments with his beloved group. Now, I'm wondering, maybe if you were in Jesus's position, what would you want to say to your disciples? So he does impart some wisdom, but he does kind of something weird if you really think about it. And perhaps for many of us, this passage has become sort of well-worn. I mean, I'm sure that there are many um, retreats that we've been to where we've heard preachers or pastors speak upon a similar passage. But I want us to imagine ourselves in the position of these disciples and not lose our awe um, because potentially you've heard a similar message before. I mean, think about it. The very teacher that they had come to follow and respect over all these years is now bending down and literally unclothing himself to wash his, wash their feet. Excuse me. I remember a time when I went to a youth group retreat, and we were actually asked to practice washing each other's feet. And I know for myself, that was... a Pretty awkward and uncomfortable experience. perhaps some of you watching today have had a similar experience. Um, but if you haven't, or if you can't imagine of anyone um, of a claim doing this for you, think about Joe Biden, President Joe Biden. Imagine if he were to stoop down and wash your feet. He's taken off his blazer, preparing this warm bath, you know. And he's getting in between the crevices of your toes, kind of crusty there. And you're just trying to avoid eye contact with him. And this is literally the president of the United States, the leader of the free world. And now imagine that the disciples, they're in a very similar position here with Jesus. And if you look at the Greek in this passage, it literally says that he was naked. And the towel, the word here used, is girded. So... He was just using the towel basically to cover up um, his waist area or his privates. And quite literally, Jesus humbles himself to that point. Now, again, remember that this is at a time when there isn't things like public sanitation. And people's feet are probably pretty nasty and grody. I mean, the roads, they were subjected to the elements of human sewage, and probably a lot of the livestock. You know, people didn't have cars back then and were traveling around with animals such as donkeys and horses. And it was, in fact, traditionally the job of a lowly servant of the house to be responsible for washing the master's feet and those of the guests when they would come back from out of town or on an adventure. So perhaps we shouldn't be shocked by the response of Peter when he pretty much completely rejects the um, ask of Jesus and the desire for him to wash his feet. And this here is a picture of Napoleon Bonaparte, and I'm just highlighting that everything that here Jesus is doing kind of goes countercultural to everything that we've seen in world history. Um, This is a pretty famous piece. I forgot the artist exactly, but you see here, that Napoleon Bonaparte, I mean, by all historical accounts, he was sort of this short guy, maybe, I mean, that's where the word Napoleon complex even comes from. But in this picture here, you know, he looks majestic and mighty riding on this big stallion. And your eyes are almost carried to just the glory and the honor that he's trying to bestow upon himself. And now contrast this to the way that we see Jesus here today. I mean, even in this picture, it looks like they're trying to you know, bestow some decency on Jesus, and he's fully clothed there. But where are your eyes drawn in this picture? It's drawn to Jesus humbly washing the feet of his disciples with that basin.
0: And in this awkward and honestly
1: humiliating moment, we see here that Peter tries to hang on to any semblances of his dignity. At first, like I said, he tries to reject Jesus' request altogether. However, when he has no choice, Peter, as he has often done throughout the Gospels, goes to the other extreme and turns this humbling exercise into something to gain. But Jesus again rejects this notion. There is nothing to be gained here and in a very another classic Jesus way responds in the form of a metaphor. Jesus tells Peter that he only needs to wash one's feet if they've been bathed. Now, there is another similar Christian ritual which involves water that some of you may all be thinking of. And I'm thinking of baptism. Jesus, quite literally, is telling us that those who have been baptized are clean, yet, they still need to wash themselves time to time. Perhaps our dirtiest parts of our feet. The parts that we often hide or may be ashamed about, Jesus meets us there. The feet were also dirty, right, because they were exposed out again to the elements of the world and to the roads. Perhaps Jesus might be telling us that not only do we have to cleanse our ongoing sins, but the parts of us that are influenced by the world, the parts of our feet that might be picking up gunk just as we are as we walk through our own lives. And as I shared earlier, perhaps one of those key messages from the world is the idea of prestige and trying to reach some sort of other level. Yet, I believe that we are freed when we expose our sinful nature and allow Jesus to wash our feet just as he humbly comes to wash ours. We no longer have to spend all that mental energy trying to keep up some appearance or some facade of ourselves, and that we so uh, seldom allow others to see. And two practical ways, I believe, that we go about doing this are through contemplative prayer and through accountability. Accountability. The reason I believe this is in genuine accountability relationships, I believe that there is an opportunity to openly, honestly confess one's sins to one another as well as to preach forgiveness into each other's lives. Um, I would really recommend um, everyone, if you haven't been able to, find an accountability partner to um, find someone who you can have that level of depth of a relationship with. And in contemplative prayer, as Pastor Steve has often mentioned, You know, there's nothing to be really gained from a worldly perspective. You're just kind of sitting there, um, wasting time, per se. But, in fact, I think it's the opposite, quite literally. And in these moments, we open ourselves and allow Jesus to come search our lives and for us to realign our thoughts and our hearts in line with him. So I believe this begs the question, what do we now do with this newfound freedom that we have. I believe the short answer is that we go to serve others. However, it comes from a more genuine and a humble approach. There's no ego involved here. And I mean, I think there's a real danger when we don't take the necessary self of humbling ourselves or allowing Jesus to wash our feet. One has to look no further than examples throughout church history Um, for example, the Crusades, where violence was used in the name of evangelism. Or in a more modern context, how often are there times that we go potentially out of a good heart to serve at places like soup kitchens? However, we're just there to serve. We're not there to actually bond and commune with the members of the um, soup kitchen that we're serving. This isn't the only example of the disciples trying to argue over greatness and status and acclaim. Um, I'm reminded of another passage that comes from Luke, where it says this, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to him, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. And again, I think this picture is a beautiful presentation of just being free in the child, or excuse me, and what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. That child doesn't look like he's stressed out, he's just truly enjoying time walking here with Jesus. I mean, think about it. When you were a kid, did you have anything on your resume or your CV? Yet Jesus calls these the greatest in the kingdom of God. He doesn't operate by the traditional status-driven rules of this world. Could I have the praise team come up now? As the praise team comes up, um, I just want you to think about how this message might be hitting you today. Perhaps you can spend a moment in prayer. Are there ways maybe in which you feel led to now serve and wash the feet of those around you? I know it can be really humbling, humiliating, awkward, but I want you to sit there with that why I mean why do we feel this way and if that is too bold of a step for you today I pray that um, you would just sit there with that Jesus asks to wash our feet so that he can expose our dirtiest parts of ourselves but not in a shameful way it's because he wants to meet us there and yet in spite of that he loves us I believe that that is the secret sauce, per se, and that is where freedom is to be found. And not just freedom for freedom's sake, but freedom to love and serve those around us in a genuine, humble, and Christ-like way. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, however this word is hitting you, or hitting, excuse me, hitting uh, members of the congregation today, I pray that you would be there with them, Father. Help those of us who are stuck in our sin to witness and experience your love today. For those of us who may be uh, assured of our identity, Father, Help us to take that next step into loving those around us as you have called us to do, Lord.
0: And ultimately,
1: may we find more ways to uh, wash the feet of those around us as you have also done for us. Thank you, and we love you so much. In your name we pray.